it doesn't mean that you need to solve everybody's problem. You need to grow other people in the organization to solve their problems and then have them teach other people who are in their organizations to solve their problems. That's how you create an empowered culture. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, everyone. David Wright here, and I'm your host of the Disruptive Innovators podcast. This afternoon, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Vijay Sankaran. Vijay, nice to have you. Thank you so much, David. It's a pleasure to be here. If you could, why don't you tell our guests a little bit about your current role? So I'm currently the Chief Technology Officer for Johnson Controls. This is a position I've held since May of last year. And I have the distinction of being the first chief technology officer for Johnson Controls. You know, Johnson Controls, uh, as many of you may or may not know, is a hundred plus year old industrial buildings company that has gotten into all kinds of different areas like automotive and battery over its hundred year history, but now is exclusively focused, you know, on enabling smart buildings. And Johnson Controls has been really focused around growing its digital capabilities by collecting all of the data from inside the buildings. And so they brought me on board to run their entire software organization, build out their OpenBlue enterprise software platform, which is our smart buildings platform to really power our initiatives around sustainability, smart buildings, security, safety, a number of different areas that collects all the data from inside the building and delivers those solutions. So it's been an exciting journey. You know, we've done a couple of acquisitions during that time. I've expanded my responsibility now to also include hardware engineering for the company. So it's about a, a 5,000 plus person organization around the world that I'm extremely proud to lead. That's awesome. Really, I'm excited to learn more about the platform that you guys have been building out. We'd like to start the episode with one piece of actionable advice, though, that you'll look to give our listeners today. Yeah, that's a, it's a great way to start an episode. And and what I would say, David, is for me, you know, I consider myself a curious learner, and I've always been a curious learner. I, I love to read almost anything, books, magazines, and listening to some audiobooks now if I'm on, on the road. But I'm just always 
trying to like be very curious and learn. And even when I'm with my team, you know, rather than talking a lot to them or at them, I'm always trying to ask different questions so I can learn the nature of things. And, and I guess this is something that I've always had since my childhood, but my advice to budding leaders in technology was, is to be a curious learner throughout your life. I love that. I mean, that's one of the blessings about being a host of this podcast is that I get esteemed leaders like yourself to learn from. I've, I've learned so much since launching this podcast that I've actually been able to integrate into you know, the work that we do with organizations. And so that's great advice. And I think it's a sign of humility too, which I, I really appreciate in a leader because clearly you've had an incredible career, but you rely on your team. Well, so let's learn a little bit more about it. So where did you start out? How did, how did you get to the point in your career that you're at today? It's been a fun journey. You know, I've always been somebody who's passionate about technology since I was really young. I remember getting my first Apple II back in 1984. And I think as my parents say, they never saw me again for like the next 10 years because I was in some corner figuring out how everything worked and running software and doing what was a version of hacking back then, I guess. But I've always been really passionate about software and technology. And, you know, then this led me to MIT, you know, where I pursued my degree in mathematics and computer science. And, you know, I always thought I was going to be one of those Silicon Valley, you know, folks like going to a company like Apple or HP or somewhere. But somewhere along the way, you know, I, I really found that my passion was around solving business problems through software and technology. So rather than go out West after graduation, you know, I hung out East and, you know, I became a consultant with Ernst & Young and really focused my interests and personal growth around this whole area of data warehousing, which was a nascent field around how do you use data and analytics to solve business problems. So, you know, we built, you know, one of the, the earliest data warehouses back then in healthcare for Bristol-Myers Squibb down in Princeton, New Jersey to help them with their disease management initiatives, really just focused on that area across different healthcare companies and different company domains, and uh, really enjoyed that a lot. And then after a few years of doing that, you know, I decided that I wanted to go get more of the business perspective of how I could really leverage technology and, and software and solutions more from a business lens. So it led me back to get my MBA at Duke University's Duke School of Business. And then I, I started a, a long set of years at Ford Motor Company, where I entered in an accelerated leadership program. And I basically just about had every type of job that really stretched every different muscle in terms of leadership and technology and the automotive industry and learning different business processes. And as those who have come from auto know, I mean, the, the business processes in auto are just the most complex in the world. So if you think about the number of vehicles that Ford produces a year, which is in the millions to the different types of vehicles, everything from F-150s and different trucks to passenger sedans to now electric vehicles to you know, the end-to-end -end nature of their business from, you know, the product development and design process to manufacturing, to supply chain, to, you know, all the corporate core functions, you know, it's basically a laboratory in every business process that you could think about, you know, that's very, very complex. And so it was a fantastic learning ground, both in terms of just tackling complexity and understanding complexity and how 
software and technology can be used to improve business function. Ford has done a masterful job with a lot of their leaders in terms of giving them different growth opportunities to build different muscles and leadership. So, you know, I did everything from in-vehicle software strategy, where we were first talking about, you know, over-the-air updates and, you know, moving from a a hardware-centric strategy to a software-centric strategy inside of vehicles to personally meeting Bill Gates a few times when we were kicking off our Ford Sync program with uh, Microsoft to really power in-vehicle computing to, you know, driving all of our corporate data centers and really figuring out, you know, how to bring much more efficient scale and operations on a global basis to then running all of application development across all of the different business domains, including some of the in-vehicle connected services, you know, across the organization. And so both in terms of tackling various different domains, as well as running an organization from 25 people all the way up to 5,000 people plus, I cut my teeth in terms of leadership growth at Ford. And then at that point, you know, um, I was turning 40 and I guess it's always a chance to take a pause when you turn 40 and figure out what you're doing with the next 10 years of your life. And prior boss of mine who had been at Ford uh, was at TD Ameritrade, which is uh, an online brokerage. And he asked me if I wanted to come on board, learn a new industry, open up a new advanced R&D center in Ann Arbor, which is where I live. And it was total, you know, shift 180 degrees, which is going from leading a large organization, huge amounts of scale to being, you know, much more hands-on, being in a different industry and almost reinventing myself completely. And after taking pause and thinking about it for a, a period of months, you know, I decided to pivot my career and jump into financial services and fintech where software is the product. And so it was a fantastic run. You know, we built out an innovation center here in Ann Arbor, grew that from zero to 200. It was almost like a little startup. And then in 2016, you know, I became the head of technology for TD Ameritrade and just built a world-class team with an awesome culture in the organization, a really highly empowered culture, which is something I really believe strongly in. We were hitting on all cylinders in the market. We scaled our trading platforms from when I first started 500,000 trades per day, all the way up to 5 million trades per day by the time I left. So it was, and then we added all kinds of innovation with robo-advisement and personalization engines and huge use of data and analytics and a new AI practice, you know, all of these functions that we built during my time there, which is from 2013 all the way to 2020. And then in 2020, as sometimes happens in corporate America, we were acquired by Charles Schwab, our biggest competitor, and they chose not to retain anyone on the leadership team. So I decided that was a good time for me to take a little bit of a break. And so recharge my batteries again. And then in the spring of 2021, the opportunity to join Johnson Controls came about. You know, what, what really motivated me to join Johnson Controls was this deep desire by our CEO, George Oliver, to focus around sustainability. And if you read Bill Gates' book on climate change, you know, buildings comprise 40% of emissions globally and are a big part of global warming emissions. And so, you know, as I really thought about what could be a capstone for my career, as I think about what I wanted to do next, you know, the opportunity to build out an organization and develop solutions that really could tackle climate change and global warming was something that was 
just so deeply personal for me. I've always been such a huge proponent of the environment and sustainability. I remember when I was at Ford, I used to dress up as a fictional character called Green Man to talk about just how do we drive more sustainable practices within IT and technology. And for me to be able to do this with a broader organization and deliver solutions that was actually going to make an impact on a global planet was pretty darn meaningful. And so I joined Johnson Controls in 2021 May, and here we are almost a year and a half later. So cool. I mean, it's crazy to think that you started consulting with healthcare then went into working with Fortune 100 in the automotive industry, then went to financial services, and now are in industrial. It's like uh, to have an executive career in IT in all those different industries, I mean, you don't see that that often. And when you talk about complexities, it's funny because I'm like, we work with a lot of health systems, like large enterprise health systems, and I'm like, damn, this is complex. There's a lot of a lot of complexities of this, but then you started talking about Ford and I was like, geez, I mean, yeah, I, amazing, I love, I love- you know, it's amazing. If you're ever, if you're ever in the Detroit area, take a tour of the Rouge plant, which is where the F-150 gets built. And at the end of the day, through all this complexity of like manufacturing build and things like that, you see a product being assembled in front of your eyes with different colors, different features at a clock speed of just it's going that's humming with just the volume of units per hour that gets produced with different combinations. And it's just amazing to think about the complexity. I mean, you think about it and you're like, wow, even despite of all of the inefficiencies that you see, this is where the magic happens at the end of the day. And I always just thought that was so cool. There's no product like it, the automotive that has that much complexity come together the manifestation of the different combinations of colors and features that customers want. Especially when then you start to think, because my mind goes to like robotic process automation and all, all the, that goes along with that. And anyway, I'm sure we could talk about Ford for forever, but then even financial services and now Johnson, very cool. What's one of the most important things that, that you've learned over the course of, of your life? And what was life like before learning it and after learning? Throughout my life, my early part of my life, and, and different now, is that I always fortunately had like the gift of intelligence, right? And intelligence can be a gift and a curse. And the curse is, is that because you have such a strong intuition and ability to sort of solve problems, you want to solve every problem. And that was me. And you can solve every problem when you're the leader of a 10-person team or even a 50-person team. But then there comes a point at which you can't solve the problem yourself because there are too many problems to solve. And I think that really hit me uh, when I took my first really big job at Ford in 2009. And uh, I was running all of software development at Ford. There were just so many different problems coming at me at once. And so, you know, I really recognized the value of the team and the talent that you had on it. I've always been a big proponent of being a coach and coaching. And, you know, I, I try to bring a lot of athletic mindsets and patterns to organizational health and organizational success. I've always believed in that 
But I think I also maybe had this, this belief that leading an organization, what, when you say leading from the front, that that's about like telling, solving all the organization's problems yourself. And that just overwhelmed me. And I was tired and just could not put everything on my back. And so I had invested in a coach at that time who helped me understand and see that I needed to look at leading organizations differently, that I was the root of the tree. And the root of the tree was there to nurse the organization, set the vision, and only solve those problems that I was uniquely positioned to solve, which was inefficiencies more broadly across the organization, bringing in agile, for example, so that the teams could you know, be more collaborative together, figuring out how to drive more of a global strategy holistically, who are the right talent and what's the right roles on your team so that the team can work effectively together. My job shifted from how to solve the problem on an ERP implementation or an order to delivery architecture to how do I structure and lead the organization and nourish the organization in a way that I'm leveraging my talents to solve those problems that only I uniquely could solve. And that was just a big aha moment for me is all of my success thereafter, I would say, is, has been really focused around building that empowered culture, having a high performance team I can really rely on and have a, a conversation with around getting their input around what the right thing to do is, and then giving them some guidance when needed around whether to slightly shift left or slightly shift right and defining our North Star and you know our key results as an organization. And the rest is just magic that happens from empowering the team. And that's been just the learning of my career. That is something that I so passionately believe in. And I still see so many leaders in this day and age trying to be directed from the top. We know that if you're a leader, you're a CEO, a CTO, a CIO, that you've done a lot of impressive things in your career, right? But just because you've done a lot of impressive things in your career, it doesn't mean that you need to solve everybody's problem. You need to grow other people in the organization to solve their problems and then have them teach other people who are in their organizations to solve their problems. That's how you create an empowered culture. When you can have an empowered culture, we had it at, at TD Ameritrade. I mean, sky's the limit in terms of your organization's success. That's a, a culture of innovation. I mean, I was chuckling to myself because I just identified with so much of what you're saying. I was just having a conversation with another CIO to this extent, like an hour and a half ago, about a leader that you know, has had a, a good career, but is still stuck in that, that way. And you could tell they're kind of miserable. They're nearing the end of their career. And it reminds me, I read this book, From Strength to Strength. And it's about how, like, if you keep on that strivers, it, it calls it the strivers curse, and you keep on trying to, to solve all the problems and maintain the control and, and, instead of kind of hopping over to that curve where you're offering all your immense experience to your team so that they can learn and grow. And then, like you said, they can inspire their teams. I mean, I don't know. I just, I had a, a similar lesson that I had to go through starting a business, a couple of businesses. 
I ran myself into the ground trying to solve all, all the problems. And my coach kind of had to sit me down and, and go through a similar learning lesson. So great, great advice. Really resonates with me. Any failures that stand out in your mind or obstacles that you had to overcome that you learned a lot from uh, over the course of your career? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, we all have learnings, things that we would have done differently and opportunities to improve. You know, when I think about one of my greatest learnings, it really comes into the whole notion of picking the right talent, you know, on your team. I had one instance where I knew an individual from a long time ago, great experience working with that individual. And then more recently, you know, that individual came back into my life through some connections and I placed that individual in a role that wasn't the right fit for that individual, that individual didn't have that experience, you know, to perform. And once I placed them in that role, it was, became almost immediately apparent that it was a poor decision. And that person couldn't handle the scale and the complexity and the interactions and wasn't from a a corporate background. And so didn't really, just really didn't understand the structure of how it all worked and really struggled in that role. And a year later, I had to make the tough decision of letting that individual go, you know, even though I had been so bullish on hiring that individual. And so for me, the lesson learned is really around You have to really know and trust your team. And when you hire somebody who's in your network, you have had recent direct experience with them. You understand their experiences. You talk to people who have worked with them, peers, colleagues, get as much insight as possible about the person's interaction style. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, you're in the trenches together. And when you're in the trenches together, You got to trust this individual. You got to be able to give feedback to this individual. You got to have that individual be able to sing off the same song sheet at the end of the day. You have to have that individual be, you know, very open and transparent with you. And you have to have those individuals that share the same cultural belief system. And so I learned that lesson. And now at Johnson Controls, I'm I'm so fortunate that uh, I have such an amazing team of people that have both worked with in the past, as well as people who who are in the organization already, but just have an amazing rapport with because, you know, I can be transparent with them, have that trusting relationship, we can have fun together, we can laugh together. Um, And that's what it's all about at the end of the day, is to have a team of talent who are like family. Having those, that team to help you conquer hills, ultimately is, is what it's all about at the end of the day. So Talent is, is so critical and choosing the right talent is absolutely critical. So, you know, sometimes I wonder if leaders spend enough time on it. Um, everybody talks about it, but if I look at it, I believe a high priority of my time is spent thinking about talent in the organization. I don't hear that enough, but I have heard that from another couple uh, executive leaders of, of large enterprises about the importance of that. So that makes a lot of sense. And I, I love what you mentioned about trust because that's, that's crucial for me to, in order to step up to that next level and be that kind of take on that role of, that you were speaking to as an executive, I need to trust that my people are, are doing what they're supposed to, to be doing and not be micromanaging everything. I think taking the time on the front end to really make sure that they're a cultural fit, make sure that they're aligned with the mission, that they have the credentials, that makes a lot of sense. So I want to talk a little bit more about your current role 
before we get into kind of your vision for the organization and that sort of thing, what's one of your favorite literary pieces? Either I know you're a student, right? So I, I try to read a book every week or two of myself, but or or listen to. But favorite book either recently or or all time? Well, one that I'm I'm reading right now or listening to on audiobook that I'm really, really like so far is Switch, written by Chip and Dan Heath. Chip was actually a professor of mine at Fuqua years and years ago. And so somebody had suggested this book to me, but it talks all about sustainable change. And most of us don't think about the psychology of change, but there are multiple aspects to change, right? There is the emotional aspect of change, and then there's the more logical aspect of change. And how do you really both talk about the why you're changing but also win, you know, the hearts and minds, but also be very precise on the things that you're doing to change and drive that change. There are all elements and ingredients of successful and transformational changes. And, you know, it really, it really resonated with me because the psychological aspect in our business, right? What is important from a customer perspective? How do they feel? What are they experiencing? What will the world look like if we don't build out open blue? And then getting the organization aligned so that, you know, as we're building this thing out and we're introducing new capabilities and features and trying to go faster and streamline our platform, they all fully understand both the why, the what, and the how we're going to get there. So I thought this book was really strong in terms of giving a lot of great examples around driving sustainable change, winning both the hearts and the minds, but also being clear with the organization around the steps that need to happen in order to actually make that change successful. I think that's a great transition into your vision for Johnson Controls. You know, really excited to learn more about what you guys are up to. You mentioned Open Blue, some of the key initiatives you guys are focused on. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, Johnson Controls is a leader, an industrial leader. And I'd like Johnson Controls to transform into being a digital industrial leader. And the way that we can do that in the organization is really through building a highly empowered, agile culture that's constantly delivering digital solutions that are highly valued by our customers in terms of tackling problems around energy efficiency, asset health, sustainability, safety, security. So really, how do I take all of that data that's coming from that living ecosystem of the building and give our customers solutions so that they can really better understand how to improve the efficiency, the output, the safety, you know, the function of their building environment. So ultimately, you know, that's the vision for the organization is that, you know, we have a team that is building out this digital smart buildings platform that delivers on the value proposition of being sustainable, healthy, and really enabling smart campuses. So that's what we want, where we want to get to and why it's so important in terms of the future of our planet as well as the efficiency of our buildings. So, and we're gonna do it with an awesome team going forward. Some of the ways that we're really going about that, 
that change is, you know, I think winning at the edge is incredibly important for Open Blue. So you think about all these different types of devices that are installed in buildings, whether they're cameras or they're fire sprinklers or fire detection or access controls or control systems or HVAC, both from Johnson Controls or non-Johnson Controls, they're all sending data around their function, their performance, their set points can be adjusted. And so winning at the edge and having a leading edge solution that basically integrates all this data, connects to all these points in a seamless way, and then you can transmit that data securely up into the cloud to be able to do different kinds of analytics is so critical for us. And so this past year, we did two acquisitions. One was a company called Foghorn based out of Sunnyvale, California. That's all about intelligent edge AI and data pipeline software. And basically we've incorporated that into our Open Blue Bridge edge platform that allows us to basically streamline and actually execute AI models right you know, on our prem devices to be able to detect faults and notify early alerts and things like that. So that was very exciting. And then, you know, as customers have become more and more sensitive to, you know, the vulnerability of assets inside their building through potential cyber hacks, we acquired another company called Tempered Networks. And Tempered Networks is an edge to cloud security platform that basically allows for easily configurable, highly encrypted, secure traffic from edge to cloud. And for us, that's perfect because we have technicians who want to be able to access on-site assets to triage it. Um, we have remote operations center that do a lot of the monitoring for building faults remotely from a centralized location. And in order to be able to do it that securely, you need to have that secure connection from edge to cloud. So we built out, we bought tempered networks and you know, we've integrated that into our platform as well. And what's also been really cool is that these two acquisitions have infused us with a different talent pool, one in Seattle and one in Sunnyvale and a startup team in India. So having that additional talent in the organization really allows us to evolve our culture, really think about things differently. So that's been huge for us. You know, other pieces of the strategy that are so important are AI. We have, you know, an AI team that's constantly thinking about how the data can be used to improve building health. So for example, we launched an AI optimization model that we built in partnership with MIT, where there's a study that's been done that if you ventilate a crowded space more heavily, the reduction in pathogen transmission, especially in the world of COVID is significant. And so, but you don't have to do that all the time. You don't need to do that when the space is empty. So there's a trade-off between energy efficiency and ventilation. And you can do that through AI. We've actually built an AI model that holistically looks at the different variables in the space and can give building operator a recommendation on how to optimize variable blowers in the space, you know, with the energy output and the ventilation that's needed to prevent, you know, pathogen spread, especially if our sensors are telling us there's a large group in the space. So that kind of stuff is very, very cool uh, as we go forward. So I would say those are two pieces. And then the third one is what we're doing with our digital twin. So if you think about other, other industries where you look at a digital replica of an asset, whether that's machinery or inside of a vehicle, digital twins have been 
so prevalent in other industries, but never in buildings. And now we've delivered an operational digital twin for our buildings that basically can ingest the data and the building information files. And then we can utilize all of that to basically let remote operators navigate the buildings remotely. That is an exact digital replica. So that's pretty cool. You know, when you think about all those capabilities that we've put in place between winning at the edge, the AI models in the cloud, and then the digital twin that we're rapidly evolving. That's cool. Is that like VR or is that like? Yeah, it is a total virtual representation. So if you saw some of our demos, you can actually, you know, scroll and navigate the space and all these kinds of things. And you can actually overlay faults on top of it to see which fire alarm is might be going off or if there's a door open. Typically, you know, in the buildings context, you get the, you know, get a lot of alerts and alarms, but they're typically nothing. There's some sort of a trip or you know, somebody followed somebody else into a door that they were in, they were supposed to badge into. It's usually like a lot of false positives and things like that. But you can't really see it because it's like data feeds that are coming in. With a digital twin, you can overlay on it, click on the fault, it takes you to the spot in the building. You can look at the video camera that's installed near there, look at the last 45 seconds of video footage and say, oh, that's what's going on. So um, it really helps like a building operator or a security person see what's going on in the building, but they don't actually have to physically be there in a campus or looking at a monitor all the time. That's exciting, man. I mean, I imagine you guys are using some geotracing for the the monitoring of the ventilated rooms. I mean, that stuff is intriguing to me. And I, I love that you guys are tying it back to the mission of sustainability. That's something that I'm very passionate about as well. I actually a few partners and I are working on a, a software platform that's meant to measure organizations, enterprise organizations alignment with SDGs and basically indicators based on SDGs that they're aligned with, grade their current alignment, make automated recommendations as to what they should be doing and then track their progress because we find there's not a lot of great measurement tools that exist today and at least other than the frameworks themselves, but in a full, in a SaaS platform. Anyway, that's really cool, BJ. Thanks for, for sharing that. Any other best practices that you and your team follow that you might, might share with us? I would say, again, when you look at best practices that I would share, I think you have to think about it just in terms of strategy first. Where do you want to go? Why are you in it? What are you trying to achieve? then figuring out what's the organization that you require, how do you need to be organized, what are the interfaces, what are the roles to support that. And then the people, the people that you really have to look at this like a team. If you look at great basketball teams or great football teams, the ones that seem to keep winning over and over and over again, they're not sort of dominated by one player. But they're like the Golden State Warriors. I mean, they have like a full cast of players who are able to work together to have different skill sets and deliver that highly effective performance. And so that's the best practice I would say is that you have to, sometimes we try to make leaders everything. And my suggestion would be think about what kind of team you want, think about what kind of values that you want on the team, what kind of capabilities that you want. And then if you build that highly effective team, that's when you really are setting your blueprint for success with the North Star around where you want to be at the end of the day. 
So last couple of questions here as we wrap up. You know, you guys are in, in a very unique position. I mean, I, I think that what you're doing is going to just continue to become more and more relevant. I mean, it's already extremely relevant. Some of the biggest changes you think are going to happen over the, the next few years in, in your world or in the industry, any any thoughts surrounding that? Some of the biggest changes, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, I think everybody's talking about self-driving cars and autonomous vehicles for a long time, right? And, you know, I think the autonomous building is going to happen long before the autonomous vehicle. But I do think that just aside, I do think that what's going to happen over the next five to 10 years is that digital really becomes the norm in buildings around much more autonomous managing the building's functions around the health of the buildings, the self-healing of the buildings, the understanding where buildings aren't functioning effectively, how to optimize settings in a building to power sustainability, and then just driving for efficiency in the buildings. If you look at that all like holistically, right, you know, there's just a lot of power in the building's ecosystem that is untapped today. And, you know, in some of our most modern buildings that we're doing projects at, you know, many of them that are in the Middle East, for example, they are really already pioneering the way around this fully autonomous building. And I just think you're going to see that more pervasive across all continents as, as people want to really help power the overall sustainability message. All right. So to, to wrap up, we like to end with the question, if you could go back five or, or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? You know, I think if, if I were to go back in time, I would tell my younger self to enjoy the journey more, take more pauses in that journey, just having more gratitude for you know, those individuals who have been part of the journey and really have had helped me grow in that journey and just looking at things in a much more holistic nature and being able to kind of see that, you know, I think sometimes we just kind of are in a go, go, go mode, you know, like what's next, what are we implementing? But I think if we pause to really appreciate what we're doing and appreciate the people and make sure that we're re-energizing our, ourselves with the right investment in, in balance, we enjoy the journey a whole lot more than sometimes we end up doing in, in corporate America. And I think it's, it's really, I'm trying to model that with my teams and I think it's important that leaders kind of learn to sort of be able to breathe as part of that process as well. Love that. Great advice. PJ, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks so much, David, for having me on your show. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Everyone, thanks for listening. We'll, we'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.